Lordly, we approach your throne, O God, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus who was dead but is now alive. How is it that we turn such tragedy into celebration? Well, you have done that, for you are the risen one, and we gather now to worship, to adore, and to hear from you this day. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And all of God's resurrection people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to our last celebration uh, for the day of uh, Easter, the, the day that changed the world. This is a joyous celebration, but I uh, need to admit that we're actually going to start my Easter message with a, a kind of a discouraging uh, video. This is, a, this is actually disturbing. It's for mature audiences only, so parents be aware. And wives, you might want to put your hands over your husband's eyes because I'm not sure they'll be able to take the pain again. Take a look. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent out of West Alabama. They try to pick play, Al. They tried to go here, but he beats him to the punch. And I'm sorry, but I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable. Okay, in this that's part enough. Of the field. I can't take it I anymore. Can't the call. <laughs> it was hard enough when I saw it the first time and to live through it four more times today. I was in Israel when I was watching this uh, on in the middle of the night, and like so many Seahawks fans, I thought we were this close to a repeat. Right? All you got to do is what? Give the ball to the beast, and we are going to take the trophy home. Instead, there's this pass. Instead, it is over, and we were just in shock, weren't we? Here's what we needed in that moment. We needed the referee to come out, blow the whistle, and make this sign. We're going to give them a second chance. We're going to press reset and try this one one more time because I know you Seahawks didn't mean to call that play. So we're going to do a second chance, give you one more shot at it, and let Marshawn have the ball. We would have all loved that, right? Unfortunately, there are no second chance calls in professional football. But welcome to Second Chance Sunday. That's what Easter is all about. On Friday, they killed and buried the battered body of Jesus in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of the mouth of that tomb. And surely anyone who was watching would have said, obviously, Jesus of Nazareth is finished. Ah, but not quite so fast. Because on that Sunday morning, in the early morning darkness, God did what only God can do. God brought death back to life. He flooded that tomb with his spirit, and the dead body of Jesus gasped back to life, and the world would never be the same again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest second chance story in the Bible. The Bible, that's what Easter is about. And if anyone needed a second chance, it was the apostle Simon Peter. Simon was a hot shot. Uh, When he was with uh, the rest of the disciples in the Last Supper, Jesus told them all, listen, 
You are all going to betray me. You're going to abandon me. I'm going to be arrested and carried off and executed. I'm just warning you ahead of time. And you remember what Simon said, don't you? He, in his typical blustery fashion, he said, Lord, I don't care what the rest of these guys do. I will never abandon you. Remember? I, in fact, I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you. Jesus says, really, Simon, you think so? Well, I'll tell you what. Before the end of this night, before the rooster has crowed three times, you are going to deny that you even knew me. And of course, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane. He was taken off by the soldiers. Peter followed in the distance and he hovered around the outskirts of, of it at the house of Caiaphas where Jesus was held overnight. But as strangers began to approach him, they asked the same question. Weren't you one of his disciples? I recognize your accent. You're a Galilean. You must have been one of his. I know you. I saw you. You were with him. And again and again, Peter said the same thing with growing vehemence, growing venom. I did not know him. I did not even know the man. And ultimately, he swore, he cursed, and said, I do not know Jesus Christ. I don't even know what you're talking about. And in that moment, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered, and he lifted his eyes, and he looked across the courtyard, and he saw Jesus staring right at him. And he was crushed with shame. The Bible says that he ran away, and he wept bitterly. So much for Mr. Tough Guy. So even after the resurrection, even after Jesus had appeared alive to his disciples, even then, Peter was still experiencing this terrible sense of shame and guilt and failure. And who wouldn't? Wouldn't you? To have been so braggadocious about it, to have promised so much and delivered so little. Peter was crushed. He was still crushed, even with Jesus alive and walking about. And so he decided he needed his head cleared. He was going to go do the the thing that was most comfortable to him, the thing he had done most of his life. And maybe this would clear his head a little bit. He was going to go fishing. And on that day, in the early morning hours, Jesus appears on the shore. And we discover the greatest second chance story in the Bible. I want to tell you that story. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how it happened. Simon Peter... Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel, who was from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were all together. I'm going out fishing, Peter said. And the rest of them said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore although the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they said. Throw your nets out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as 
Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. And he jumped into the water. The rest of the disciples brought the boat back, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and a fish on it and bread there as well. Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon climbed aboard and he dragged the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. And yet even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they were finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said to him, follow me. This is a story from the last chapter of the last gospel of God's holy word. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to Simon and the rest of the disciples, you have to imagine it was one of those colossal mixed emotion moments. A kind of, oh wow, oh no moment, right? Oh wow, Jesus is alive. He, he promised, but I couldn't believe it was true. But here he is, Jesus is alive, just as he said he would. Oh wow. Oh no, I've got to face Jesus. I don't want to face Jesus. I want to hide from Jesus. Oh wow, oh no. Can't you imagine? After Peter's colossal failure, how could, how could he even look Jesus in the eye? Right? He had his chance and he blew it big time. And surely, surely Jesus was just going to be done with him. Move on to someone else instead. Maybe that's what Peter was thinking when he decided that he was going to go fishing. Little did he know that he was in for the greatest second chance of his life. Anyone here this morning 
who doesn't need a second chance? If we had the time and you had the courage and I had the microphone, I could make my way right down the aisle and one at a time, you could point to that moment in your life where if you could do it, you would press the reset button. Isn't that right? Nod your heads because I know it's true. That moment, if you could just do it, where you would love a second chance. Maybe it was that broken marriage. Maybe it was that shady business deal. Maybe it was the kids that you left behind, neglected as you climbed your ladder of corporate success. Maybe it was the day that you started down the path of that habit that still vexes you today. I know exactly the place that I would point. I know exactly where I would press reset because I still have regrets for that moment. Every one of us wishes that we could have some second chances in our life. And, we, and, and it's, it's not just about the ruined relationships or the ruined um, reputations or the squandered opportunities that these represent. It's about something spiritual, something deeper. There's something heavy that lays upon our spirits, right? We, we know that we've not only let down ourselves and others, we've let down God. And even if you don't believe in God, you know very well the heaviness of spirit that I'm telling you about. You just carry something on your heart that you would do anything to be set free from. May I just tell you that Easter is the story of second chances for that. This is what Easter is all about. The opportunity to be forgiven. To start over. To be unburdened by the guilt that you have carried for too long. Jesus was God's second chance offer to humanity. God said, I know you. I love you. I know you've blown it. I know the, the, the burden that you're carrying. And so I am sending you my only son to set things right. You want a second chance? Jesus is your guy. And this story, I think, illustrates how eager Jesus is to bring us a second chance. Do you notice, first of all, how he takes the initiative, right? Jesus shows up on the shore. He comes to them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. Although he had every right to say, you present yourself at such and such an hour and we're going to have a chat. Jesus comes to the shore. He stands on the shore. He waits for them to come in. And when they come in, what has he done? He's made a breakfast for them. He welcomes them. He takes the initiative. There's such sweetness to this. He knew very well how embarrassed they were. He knows that they don't know what to say. He knows that they can't look him in the eye. He knows that Gethsemane was the moment of greatest moral failure in their lives. The moments of great cowardice in their lives. He knows all of that, and what does he do? He comes to them. You see this initiative in the way that he speaks to Peter. He could have have started out with statements. He could have come in with guns blazing, right? So, Mr. You will never let me down. Mr. I lay down my life for you. I will never abandon you. How did that work out for you, Peter? He had every right to go there, didn't he? But Jesus instead starts with a tender question. The tenderest of questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Even in that, he doesn't make a statement. He could have started, Peter, I love you. 
And what would have that have done? It would have only laid more guilt on Peter, wouldn't it? He knows Jesus loves him and he knows how much he has failed and doesn't deserve that love. So Jesus doesn't go there. Simply, he gives Peter the first shot. Do you love me? There's even more to this conversation than is first seen when we're reading it in the English because the original language, Greek, reveals something that's even deeper. And I know some of you, you're saying, man, I came to church this morning and now I'm going to get a Greek lesson. But hang in with me. In Greek, there are several words for the word that we use, love. And the, the greatest word of all for love is a word called agape. Would you say that? Agape. Agape is uh, it's God's love. It's the supreme form of love. It is the love of self-sacrifice. It is the love that does what is right, even when it doesn't feel like doing what is right. When we read, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son to die for the world so that the world might be saved. That is agape love, God's love. But there's another kind of love too. It's called phileo. Say that. Phileo. It means brotherly love. It means the love of affection. We have a city called Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Agape love chooses the best. It chooses the other. It always serves, always sacrifices. It is the highest form of God love. Phileo is a love of emotion, a love of feeling, a love of circumstance. When Jesus comes to Peter, he said, Peter, do you agape me? In other words, Peter, do you now love me with all that you have to offer? Can you love me with your entire will? Do you love me with the supreme form of love? Here's your chance, Peter. After everything, here's your chance to declare that love for me. And Peter replies, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus takes another run. But Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with the love of God? With the love of your soul? And Peter once again says, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. What do you think Jesus does next? He says, Peter, okay, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I can do that. I love you like a brother. You see what happened here? Jesus moves toward Peter even in the way he asks his questions. He asks Peter if he's now ready to move on beyond denial, beyond betrayal, move on to something deep and rich and great, move on to sacrificial love. And Peter can't go there. He cannot, in all honesty, make the same grandiose claims that he made at the Last Supper. He knows that. His betrayal is too raw. He says, Jesus, I can't. I can't promise that. All I can tell you is that I love you like a brother. That's the best I can do. And so Jesus says, okay, do you love me like a brother? Great. Let's start there. Peter, Jesus, in his grace, he, he meets Peter where he is. If he can't call him higher, he'll meet him right where he is to start. But notice this. It doesn't stop there. Because Jesus goes on to say, now follow me. Follow me. Do you, 
Again, the sweetness of it. Jesus says, I'll meet you, but I want you to come to a greater place. Jesus loves us too much not to meet us where we are, and he loves us too much to leave us where he finds us. And so Jesus calls Peter to something higher, something greater. Peter once renamed Simon, uh, Jesus once renamed Simon. He called him Peter, which means rock, rocky. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to call you to be the name I gave you. I'm going to call you to be the person that I know is in there. I'm going to call that forth from you, Peter. Follow me with the rest of your life. Will you follow me? And in fact, he did. As a matter of fact, many years later, did you know that Peter was himself crucified for his faith in Jesus? And when the time came that they were ready to spike him to the cross in Rome, Peter stopped them. He said, I am not worthy to be crucified the way that my Lord died. Will you crucify me upside down? And so they did. And one last time, Peter heard the Spirit of Jesus saying, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter, with his dying breath, said, Yes. Yes, I do. Easter is the story of second chances, of Jesus coming to us not with words of accusation, with words of condemnation, but rather Jesus coming to us with words of grace and welcome and hospitality and kindness. If you need a second chance, and everybody needs a second chance here, whether you're the churchiest person in the pew, or you're the guy that feels like you're sitting under the french fry heat lamp at McDonald's right now, sure that everybody's looking at you, and I know we got them here. Wherever you are, you need a second chance. And the good news is that Jesus isn't waiting for you to come to him. He's already come to you. He's already made the first move. He has said, are you ready? Here, I'm calling to you. Come, let's have breakfast together. But that's not the whole of the story, and I want us to look a little bit further. Because the other part that we discover is this. There's a limit to what Jesus will do. There's a limit to what Jesus will do. He makes the first move. He reaches out. He offers to meet us where we are. But at some point, we must move too. We must respond. I think this is the most beautiful thing about the story that we just read. It's Peter's response. When he realizes that it's Jesus on the shore, he can hardly contain himself. He's so excited. They're only a hundred yards off. It wouldn't take them but a few minutes to roll back in. But it is a hundred yards too far for Peter. And so he kind of loses his mind. He's so excited. He, he takes the cloak that he had taken off so that it wouldn't get wet while he was fishing, puts it on, and then jumps into the water and swims for the shore. He just could not wait. He, was it a little crazy? Yes. But to him, all he could think was, Jesus is there. He's calling me. I am not going to miss this second chance. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And so off he goes. But think about it. There were six other guys on that boat. Weren't there? There were a total of seven. Peter was the only one who jumped off. Was Peter the only one who needed the second chance? Not hardly. 
Had every other one of those guys failed? Yeah, maybe not the spectacular failure that Peter had demonstrated, but every one of those guys abandoned Jesus in his time of need. Every one of them failed. Every one of them was ashamed. All of them needed a second chance. They had all slithered away in the darkness of fear. But only Peter took the plunge. Now, why is that? And I think in part it might be because they had stuff to take care of. They had a boat that needed rowing back to shore. They had a net full of fish that they needed to haul in. They didn't all have the luxury of jumping into the water like Peter did. Someone had to be responsible. But wait a second. Where did they get that load of fish in the first place? Jesus gave it to them when they had fished all night fruitlessly. Jesus said, try the other side. Boom, there it was. Did they really think that Jesus, who gave them a net full of fish, couldn't do it again? Maybe 154 this time. 155. But no. They were so concerned holding on to the things that Jesus had given them that they weren't ready to rush to the shore so they could hold on to Jesus himself. That's too bad. Of course, they ended up being able to have a breakfast with Jesus. They ended up having a conversation with the Lord. But they did not have the kind of private conversation that Jesus had with Peter that transformed the rest of his life. How many of us, how many of us never take our second chance with the Lord because we are too busy clinging to the things of this life? It's kind of like the monkey trap. Any of you ever heard of the monkey trap? It's working right now. <laughs> In India, the monkeys run wild. And when they want to catch them, they put a, a bottle out that has a neck wide enough for the monkey to fit his arm in. And they anchor it to the ground. And then they put a, a banana in and they hide. And the monkey comes and he sticks his hand in the jar and he grabs the banana. But then he cannot pull his hand free. And do you think he will let go of that banana in order to be set free? No. No matter what happens, he will try and try and try. He will not let go of that banana. And they come out of hiding. They put a bag over his head and it's over for the monkey. He's lost his freedom. He's probably lost his life all because he will not let go of what he has in his fist. All seven of those guys needed a second chance. All seven of them should have jumped into the water and raced to shore, but only Peter did. The others would not let go of what they had in their fists. Here's the plain truth. Every person here this morning needs a second chance with God. Because every person here this morning has blown it more than once. There are many who carry a huge sense of grief and guilt and shame with them. They need to take the plunge. But who instead cling to the bananas of their life? And today in this moment, Jesus begs of you. I want to give you a second chance. 
I want to give you your freedom. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you peace. I want to give you a love that you have never known. That is what I offer. Will you take the plunge? Will you take the plunge?